0: green. Oh, you hear me? Did you hear me the first time? No? Just kidding. Good morning. Years ago, David Letterman had a segment on his late night show called Brushes with Greatness. Do any of y'all remember that? Anybody? Wow. Either I'm old or I watch bad TV, something like that. Well, anyways, in, in this segment that he called Brushes with Greatness, he would go up into a studio audience, and he would interview them about uh, different people that they had met, celebrities that they had had chance encounters with. Well, how about you? Have you ever had a brush with greatness? And, and I'd like you to have a little audience response. How many of you have ever had a chance encounter with somebody famous, a celebrity? Uh, go ahead and tell me some of those people that you've, you've met. Carmen. Who? Carmen. Rick Warren, Buzz Aldrin, Buzz Aldrin. Buzz Aldrin all right, Donnie and, Marie Donnie and Marie Osmond, you would actually admit that, okay, <laughs> <laughs> yes, Axel Rose, Axel Rose. The, the Gatlin brothers, cool, I'm so disappointed none of you have had Diaz yet. Well, I don't think I've ever told you, but when I was a student here at New Mexico State, I had a very significant brush with greatness. Um, I was wandering around over here at Pan Am Center before an Olivia Newton-John concert. And uh, I was approached by members of her entourage asking me if I would be willing to sing a duet with her. Not really, it wasn't that. But I really did. I had, I had a member of her entourage come and approach me and I guess because I was kind of a big guy they asked if I would be a bodyguard for her so when she's coming in and out of the building when she's going up on the stage and back from the stage I would get to be be her bodyguard and I said is it my birthday? of course I'll do that (laughs) Olivia Newton-John and so yeah I got to be her bodyguard I am I'm proud to inform you that while I was guarding her there were no incidences with fans except for the one that she had with me and that is all I'm going to say about that. Now, so the brush with greatness that I most like to boast about is one that I had that absolutely changed my life for good and forever. It was a brush for greatness I had on March 5th, 1975, and that's the day I met Jesus Christ. And that's the day I gave my life to Him and asked Him to be my Savior and Lord. That hasn't been my only brush with greatness, with, with Jesus, with His greatness. I've experienced many including some recently that have been life-changing. And and I've seen God's greatness and how He's worked in my life and how He's worked in others' lives, how He's worked in your lives, how He's worked in and through this church, which really gets me excited about how and when He is going to demonstrate His greatness in and through us again. And uh, I am praying that as individuals and families in a church that we all have a brush with God's greatness during this upcoming 40 days that's going to start next week. To prepare us for a brush with greatness, I want us to look at Exodus chapter 19. Let me give you a little bit of background on this passage. In chapter 19, uh, prior to that, the, uh, the Israelites were delivered from slavery to Egypt. And so now in chapter 19, they're gathered at Mount Sinai. So the first 19 chapters, his people witnessed God do some incredible things, miracles to rescue them. Uh, he sent 10 different plagues against the Egyptians that didn't touch them. One plague after another after another, miraculous plagues, blood, frogs, lice, flies, cats, boils, hail, locusts, darkness. Anybody catch that? ha, <laughs> <laughs> yes. At least somebody's listening. In my mind, they're a plague. And just, just all kinds of plagues until finally the will of Pharaoh was broken. And then God safely guided them through the wilderness with a cloud during the day, a pillar of fire at night. And he guided them until they got to the Red Sea, which seemed to be a huge tactical mistake on God's part, right? Because the Egyptian army is fast approaching to cut them down, and here they were with their backs against the Red Sea. They had nowhere to go. They were trapped. Looks like they were toast. What's funny is it wasn't them who were trapped. It was God that was setting the trap for the Egyptian army. And so, of course, you know the story. At, At his command, at God's command, Moses raises his staff, and the Red Sea, the waters of the Red Sea part, and God's children walk through the Red Sea on, on dry ground. And when the Egyptian army tried to do the same, the, the waters came upon them with the force of a tsunami that overcame them and, and, and drowned them. So God has shown his power to them. He'd shown his greatness to them again and again in a mind-blowing fashion, which brings us to chapter 19. And God tells Moses to tell his people, basically, you ain't seen nothing yet b ba baby <laughs> Sorry. Child of the 70s. So the best is yet to come. Just wait. I'm going to reveal my greatness to you. I am going to show you my glory in an even greater way. But first, you must prepare yourselves. In Exodus 19, beginning with verse 3, follow along with me as I read. Then Moses went up to God, and the Lord called to him from the mountain and says, "'This is what you're to say to the house of Jacob and what you're to tell the people of Israel. "'You yourselves have seen what I did to Egypt and how I carried you on eagle's wings and brought you to myself. "'Now if you obey me fully and keep my covenant, then out of all the nations you will be my treasured possession. "'Although the whole earth is mine, you will be for me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation.'" These are the words you are to speak to the Israelites. So Moses went back, summoned the elders of the people, set before them all the words of the Lord, commanded them to speak. The people all responded together. We will do everything the Lord has said. So Moses brought their answer back to the Lord, and the Lord said to Moses, go to the people and consecrate them today and tomorrow. Have them wash their clothes, be ready by the third day, because on that day, the Lord will come down on Mount Sinai in the sight of all of his people. So from this, I want to draw out some principles that I believe will... uh, help us to be ready for the work that God desires to do in and through us during this 40 days. This is going to help us to prepare for a, a brush with God's greatness. So number one, prepare for a brush with greatness by remembering what God has done, by remembering what God has already done for us. Exodus nineteen four. read it out loud with me, the words of God. You yourselves have seen what I did to Egypt and how I carried you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. So he was pointing them to what he'd already done to get them ready for what he was going to do and what he was asking them to do. He called his people to remember the the incredible things that they just experienced, how he delivered them from slavery and from the hand of Pharaoh. You know, little prepares us, little makes us hungry for a fresh work of God, like remembering what he's done for us in the past. Think about what God has done for you. Just think for a moment. Christ died on the cross to pay the penalty for your sins. He conquered the grave for you. He adopted you. He forgave you. He's given you eternal life and he's given you a home in his heaven. He loves you unconditionally. He comforts you. He provides for you. He heals you. He fills you with his spirit. He fills your life with meaning and significance. The very air in your lungs with every breath that you take is a gift from Him. And I could go on and on and on and on talking about all the different ways that God has blessed us. How can you not want more from a God who fills our lives with blessing after blessing after blessing after blessing? How can you not want a fresh work of His grace and His presence and His power Then look at what God has done for our church. You know, this church is a miracle. It testifies to the greatness of God. In 1993, less than 40 people here, the baptistry in the old building had not been used in five years, they had not had a baptism in five years. In fact, the baptistry was filled with dust, old Sunday school curriculum, and antique Christmas ornaments. There were no children in the church, literally none, zero, not a single child. There were no college students here. They could not pay their bills. To save money, they shut half of the building down, and they replaced all the light bulbs. They took all the 100-watt light bulbs out and replaced them with 40 watts. I guess you could say the future looked dark. In more ways than one. And look what God has done. Look where God has brought us. Let's give God some praise. (laughs) Look at what God has done with a dead church. Can someone say resurrection? Can someone say hallelujah? You know, I'm so proud to be part of this church. I'm so proud of you. I love you, church. You're an amazing church. You're amazing people. You're known in this city as a church of real compassion, as a church that's filling this city with the love of God in practical ways. You know, we began um, our 40 days. I'm going to brag about you a little bit. We began our 40 days campaigns in 2006. And since then, we have collected and distributed over 5,000 pairs of shoes, 1,000 blankets, 5,000 coats, along with thousands of other items of clothing, uh, thousands of pounds of food boxes to to needy families in our community, and along with all of those, the gospel of Jesus Christ, most important. We're recognized this year by the Las Cruces Public Schools as a valuable partner in education. This was presented to us just a few months ago. Was that not awesome? <laughs> uh, we recently formed a partnership with Valley View Elementary School. have been providing the children there w- with clothing and with school supplies. And if you have not noticed, that's what those big black bins are all about on the other side of this wall out there. And encourage you to to drop by and look to see on it what it is that we're collecting for them. And we do something different every month. Uh, we're also seeking to help run an after-school program at Valley View three days a week, and we need volunteers to do that. And if that's something that you'd be interested in helping us with, then please call the church office. And you know, we're we're hoping that we can extend a partnership and adopt other schools in our in our community. What's interesting is that the schools are asking for us, asking for the church. To come in, to help them out. Whatever happened that separation of church and state thing, huh? It's amazing the doors that are open when we just love people in the name of Christ. You now we're uh, we're making a difference for Christ in this community. You know we are pushing back the gates of hell and we're establishing the kingdom of God in the city of the crosses. This year through our pack event which, as you know, provides food for hungry and starving children in third world countries. This year, we are going to break the one million mark for meals provided. Is that not cool? One million meals. Leah, let me hear it. Come on. So, man, looking back on what God has done, how he's used this church, are you not excited about the great things that God desires to do through us and in us in the future? I think we have just scratched the surface, and that God is ready to do so much more. Number two, prepare for a gr- brush with greatness by committing to grow in unity. Look at Exodus nineteen eight with me. It says some of the people responded right. It says most of the people responded right. It says all but one of the people responded. What does it say? Read it out loud with me. All of the people responded together. We will do everything the Lord has said. Circle the word all. All the people responded. Circle the word we. They said we. They didn't say I. They said we will do everything the Lord has said. They didn't respond as individuals. They responded together as a community. They responded together to God as one. So together, the, together they had experienced this journey of freedom that they'd longed and prayed for. Together they had witnessed God's faithfulness and they witnessed his power on their behalf. Together they celebrated and praised God for what he'd done. And so now together as one they committed themselves to doing everything that God desired. They were united. They were a family. They were a team. As some of you know I fancy myself an athlete, even still. You know what they say, old jocks never die, they just smell that way. (laughs) That is just a gross thought in many different ways. My senior year at El Paso Eastwood High School, uh, we were predicted by the two local newspapers and Texas football magazine to easily win our district championship because we had the most talent of any team in in the city. Uh, We were returning almost everybody from a team that had broken our school record for the, the most wins, the best record. Well, we got off to a slow start and we lost our first game, a game that we were supposed to win by a score of 20 to nothing. And I hate to admit that it was to Las Cruces Mayfield High School. Next game, we lost 40 to nothing to Mayfield, uh, to Midland, Texas High School. It's a game in which, by the way, besides losing badly in, I broke my nose. And as you can see, it's still swollen. <laughs> you know, I used to have this tiny little cute button nose, but it's what football does to you. Despite the slow start, we managed to um, finish even slower. And we finished that year with another school record, the worst record in the school history, which still stands today, by the way. (laughs) One win and nine losses. It was really no secret why a team that had so much individual talent did so poorly. We weren't a team. There was no camaraderie. There was no unity. There was no cheering each other on. There was no picking each other up when we'd fallen. Uh, We were little more than just a group of guys that were playing football wearing the same jerseys. That was it. When practice was over, we just all went our separate ways. We didn't hang out with each other. We weren't friends. You know, the team wasn't the only thing that suffered. We all suffered as individuals because when the team loses, you lose every person on that team loses and the sport that we all loved we just wasn't fun anymore and we couldn't wait for that season to be over the christian life is meant to be a team sport it's not just a sport of individuals it's meant to be a team sport and this is your team God designed the Christian life to be lived out in community with other Christians in a team called the church. And listen, when your church thrives, you thrive. When you thrive, your church thrives. How the church goes, what the church does, what the church accomplishes, how God's power works in and through that church is largely dependent upon the unity that exists in that church. No, God did not intend the church to be just a group of individuals who meet for an hour on Sunday morning, and then when the services are over, we all go our own individual ways, see you next week, maybe, if there's not something better going on. God meant for this, for there to be a unity and a friendship that extends beyond this into our regular lives, into our week. Look at Acts 2. Look at how it describes the early church and early Christians. So all the believers were in fellowship as one body, as a team, and they shared with one another whatever they had. Out of generosity, they even sold their assets to distribute the proceeds to those who were in need among them. Daily, daily, it says, they met together in the temple courts and daily in one another's homes to celebrate communion, to share meals together with joyful hearts. And tender humility. Now we know that the church was at least 3,000 back then. So 3,000 of them worshiped together in the temple like this 3,000. But that was only the starting point of the church being the church, of being a team. Because they also met, as we read, regularly in one another's homes to care for each other to grow in faith together, to have fun together, to become friends and to become one. It doesn't happen in this setting. It happens when we get into smaller groups, and that's what community groups are all about here at our church. That's why we have community groups, and that's why we encourage and challenge you and even try to push you to get into community groups. It's to strengthen the church, and it's to strengthen you. So I'm asking you to become part of a team, part of the team. And during this 40 days at least, to get plugged into a community group, which you can do as soon as we're finished here. Just go out there into the commons, and there's a table out there against the walls. All different opportunities for you, different places around the city, different nights that they meet. I want to challenge you to get into a group. Strengthen yourself, strengthen this church, especially during this 40 days. Now, I'll tell you what, if I was not absolutely convinced from Scripture, from church history, from my personal experience, that this is a necessary part of being a true church and building disciples, becoming mature disciples ourselves, if I wasn't absolutely convinced that that was necessary, you know, I wouldn't bother. We're all busy. I'm busy. The last thing we need is another meeting during the week, another pointless meeting to go to. It's more than that, much more. So again, I I just encourage you, get into a group during this 40 days. Number three, prepare for a brush with greatness by being intentional about your spiritual growth. Exodus 19.10, then the Lord told Moses, go down and prepare the people for my visit. Consecrate them today and tomorrow. Have them wash their clothing. Be sure they are ready. On the third day, I'm going to come down upon Mount Sinai as all the people watch. Underline those words, wash your clothing. Now, That's talking about more than just washing stinky clothing. That's more of a metaphor of talking about uh, making sure they're pure, purifying themselves, purifying their hearts. So God was telling Moses, make sure the people spend time examining themselves and making sure they're ready, making sure they're fully devoted to me for this time in which I'm going to reveal my greatness to them. It's actually something that Paul encourages to do in the New Testament. Look at 2 Corinthians 13. And I love the way the message paraphrases this. I'm going to read it out of the message. Uh, Paul writes, Test yourselves to make sure you are solid in the faith. Don't drift along, taking everything for granted. Give yourselves regular checkups. You need firsthand evidence, not mere hearsay, that Jesus Christ is in you. Test it out. If you fail the test, Do something about it. Underline those words, don't drift along. That's one of the greatest dangers that we face as Christians. Drifting. Just drifting along. You get the picture here of someone who has no vision, who has no goals, who has no purpose. Uh, Someone who is not intentional. Someone who is not disciplined about their spiritual growth a procrastinator somebody who says oh you know I know I'm supposed to be spending time in the word of God and I'll do that someday I know I should be praying I know there's power in prayer I know that worship connects me to God and I'll do those things someday person just drifts along Going nowhere, accomplishing nothing for the kingdom of God. I hope that doesn't describe you. But I have to be honest, I have on more than one occasion, I confess, I have just drifted and not been intentional about my walk with God and growing in in my relationship with him. So during these 40 days decide to stop drifting and become intentional about your spiritual growth. Develop the discipline of spending personal, one-on-one time with God, spending time listening to Him in His Word, talking to Him in prayer, loving on Him in worship, one-on-one. One one thing that, and we're going to help you do that, by the way, we're going to help you to get started in having that one-on-one time with God if you don't already have that. I'm going to give you a resource to use if you already have that time with God. So we're asking you during these 40 days to pick up a copy of the 40 Days of Prayer journal. This is an excellent journal, probably the best material that we'll, we have used to date, uh, devotional material. And so I encourage you, if you haven't realized by now that the, the uh, topic is prayer, and so pick up one of these, and there's exercises to do, there's readings, there's prayers for the 40 days. It doesn't take long. But be intentional. Pick up one of these. And if you can't, they're, they're available out in the, uh, in the lobby. And if you can't afford one, don't worry about it. Pick one up. We always have people that pay extra so that we uh, never run short. If you want one, just pick one up, whether you can afford it or not. And then, if God blesses you at some point and you can pay for one, then go for it. But it's not necessary. <sighs> you know, again, be intentional during this 40 days to spend one-on-one time with God. It doesn't have to be legalistic. I'll tell you, God's going to love you just the same if you do it. Not going to love you any less if you don't do it. But if you don't, you may miss a lot of what God wants to do in your life during these upcoming 40 days. You may miss growing in deeper love for God. You may miss experiencing his love for you. And listen, if you experience those things, that'll change your life more than a thousand self-help books and programs. Some of my greatest personal brushes with greatness have come in my individual times with God. Just the one-on-one times I've spent with him. And I think it'll be the same. I think that'll be true with you. Those are the times when we seem to connect with God and he does the deepest work in our lives. Number four, prepare for a brush with greatness by embracing God's special calling upon your life. Exodus 19, 5. Go ahead and read this out loud with me. Out of all nations, you will be my treasured possession. Although the whole earth is mine, you will be for me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. Underline those words, you will be for me a kingdom of priests. So God's people are called to be His priests, all of God's people. Raise your hand if you are a part of God's people. If you are a God's people, raise your hand. So that means you are called to be a what? A priest. Welcome to the ministry. Turn to your neighbor and say, good morning, Reverend. Actually, I hate to be called Reverend. I hate it. Revelation 1-6. Let's read this out loud together. He lets us rule as kings and serve God, his Father, as priests. To him be glory and power forever and ever. Amen. Circle the words, he lets us. Literally means he appoints us. You know, being a priest of God has nothing to do with your worthiness. has nothing to do with mine. To be a priest, you don't have to go to seminary. Sorry, I always get those two confused. They're pretty similar. It's by his grace, nothing that we have done. God has appointed you to be his priest. Let's talk about what a priest is. There's actually, that, that word priest is actually a, a wonderful uh, word picture. The, the Latin word for priest is the word pontifex. And it literally means, it's two words, it literally means a bridge builder. And that's what God has called you to be. Called you to be a person that builds bridges between him and the people that he loves. Years ago, some of you may remember Air Florida Flight 90 was trying to take off on a, on a very cold, snowy, icy day. Trying to take off from Washington, D.C. airport and because the wings were, were frosted over. It couldn't gain altitude. And it ended up plunging into the Potomac River and breaking apart. And there were a small group of survivors that were in the Potomac River in the freezing waters of the Potomac. And a a rescue helicopter came, flew over them, and dropped this, this lifeline, dropped this harness down to one of them. And the person it came to grabbed it, but instead of putting the harness around himself, he reached out to the person next to him, and he helped that person get into the harness, and it lifted that person to safety, took him to the shore, and then the helicopter came back, dropped that lifeline, dropped that harness it came back to the same man. Instead of putting it around himself, he reached out and he grabbed this woman that was freezing, and about to go under, and he helped her get into the harness. And the, the helicopter took her to safety. The helicopter came a third time and looked for him, and he was gone. He had succumbed to the cold waters and he had slipped underneath them and drowned. You know what? Uh, what a heroic and brave soul. Individual that we know whose name was Arland Williams. Just a simple bank examiner, but what a hero. But that is a perfect example of what it means to be a priest. See, this guy was a bridge. He was a bridge person. He took the lifeline from above. He took life from above, and he took the, the hand of the people that were dying next to him, and he put the two together. And that's what he saw as his purpose there, and he gave his life to do that. And that's what you and I are called to do. We're called to reach up to heaven and take the hand of God and to take the life from God and we're to reach the people that are dying and that need him so desperately. And we're to be that bridge and we're to put the two together. That's our highest calling. Men, your highest calling is not to be a provider for your family, although that's important. Your highest calling is to be a priest. For your family, to be a priest to your children, to be a priest to your wife, to build a bridge between God and them with love and through prayer by teaching them the word of God and setting an example for them of, of goodness that they will want to follow. Ladies, your highest calling is to be a priestess of God, to build a bridge between God and your husband and how you love him and honor him and respect him, show him kindness and pray for him, to build a bridge between God and your children through prayer and love and patience and instruction. Your your greatest purpose at work and at school in your neighborhood is to build bridges between Christ and the people there that need him by praying for them, caring for them, showing them in your actions and attitudes the love of Christ, And much of what we're going to be doing during these 40 days, we're going to be building bridges. We're going to be building bridges between God and our community, between God and our world by acts of compassion in his name. And this is one of the things I get so excited about during our 40 days and the times that we do these things. This year, as in previous years, uh, we're going to be giving our community an alternative to Halloween, to trick-or-treat by hosting a Trunk-or-Treat event again this year. You know what's cool? We, th- this is, I think, our fourth year doing this, our third year doing this, actually. And last year, and this is by uh, estimates of members of the sheriff's department, we could have had as many as 18,000 people here last year for our Trunk-or-Treat event. 18,000 people. That's almost 20% of the population of our, of our city. Is that not incredible? And then again, you know, besides the fact that not only did they have fun, not only did they remain safe, not only did they fill up on candy, not only were we a blessing to every dentist in Las Cruces, (laughs) every child also received the gospel. 18,000 people were exposed to the gospel that day. Is that not awesome? Let me hear it. So I hope that you'll help us to make the Trunk or Treat event a success this year, to build that bridge between God and our community. Uh, The Trunk or Treat event, by the way, is going to be October 19th. More information about how you can get signed up to help. Also, mark your calendar for November 3rd and 4th. And once again, we're going to be hosting our Manipack event November 3rd and 4th. Uh, As I said, this year we're going to break the 1 million mark of meals provided. Our goal this year is to raise $40,000.00 which will provide 200,000 meals for kids. Actually, over 200,000 meals, like 214,000 meals for kids. It actually works out to be less than a quarter a meal. Think about that. Less than a quarter for a meal to feed a starving child. For every quarter you donate, the child gets fed. And depending on what you order, that means that if you were to choose to skip Starbucks and donate that money to Manapack, you could feed anywhere between 12 and 20 meals to a starving child. How's that for a guilt trip? (laughs) You are welcome. (laughs) Actually, that just means we're gonna have to be more discreet in our visits to Starbucks. (laughs) A meal for a quarter. Share that with your children that if they'll save a quarter at a time, with each one of the quarters that they save or each quarter that they earn doing work around the house, they get to feed a child and extend a child's life. So I hope that you'll pray about what God wants you to give. I hope that you'll give generously and sacrificially. Now, I do need to say something very important here. Please do not give to man instead of giving your regular offerings to the church. Please don't do that. Uh, this should be over and above your regular offerings, which help us keep the ministries of our church going, help us be able to minister to our kids, our teenagers, our families. So, over and above your regular gifts to the church, give generously to Manipak. Number five, prepare for a brush with greatness by giving God an unconditional yes. Moses took a message from God to his people. And he said basically this, If you will do all I ask of you, I will be with you. I will, my presence will live among you. You will be my treasured possession. Exodus 19, 8. And they all responded in unison. Let's read it out loud together. We will certainly do everything he asks of us. Now, did you notice they said yes? We will do everything he asks of us but they didn't even know what he was asking of them yet. They did not know what they were saying yes to. What did they know? They knew who they were saying yes to. And that's all they needed to know, that was better. They knew they were saying yes to the God who had proven they could trust. They were saying yes to a powerful, loving, faithful God who had rescued them and set them free. You may remember a story of a church. It's a church in which God really seemed to be moving. Lives were being changed. Families were being healed. Lives in uh, the community, were being touched by Christ. The church was having a tremendous impact. And so there was a young pastor who wanted to check this church out for himself to see what the secret was to, to why God was moving so powerfully in and through this church. And so he goes to church one day, and he sits in the back, and he just observes. And this is how the service begins. The pastor walks down the, the center aisle from the back to the front. The pastor also happened to be a, a good musician unlike yours. And so he sits down at a piano and he begins to play very softly. And then he just begins to say these words, yes, Lord, yes, yes, Lord, yes. And then as he plays, he begins to say it louder. Yes, Lord, yes, yes, Lord, yes. And then the congregation kind of takes their cue and they begin to say those words with him. Yes, Lord, yes, yes, Lord, yes. And it gets louder and louder. And it sounds like this, help me out. Yes, Yes, Lord, yes, yes, Lord, yes. And it gets even louder than that. Yes, Lord, yes. Yes, Lord, yes. And it gets louder and louder and louder until it just seems like it can't get any louder. And then all of a sudden, the pastor stops playing and he stands up and people just are quiet. And then the pastor looks up to heaven and he holds his hands up and he says, Jesus, you've heard our answer. Now just tell us what you want us to do. And in that moment, that young pastor realized the secret of their power. It was their deep, deep trust in God. It was a trust in God that was so deep, they were willing to say yes to his will before they even knew what it was. Do you have a deep desire to experience a fresh work of God and a brush with his greatness? then be a person. Let's, let's be a church that gives God an unconditional, enthusiastic yes. Yes, Lord, to whenever, however, whatever you want to do in and through us. Can I hear you say yes? yes. With more enthusiasm? Yes. Let's pray. I just want you to talk to God. In there, you, would you really give him that yes? Think about what he's done. Think about a wonderful, awesome God he is. Think about how faithful he is. Think of how much he deserves that trust. Would you just say, God, yes. Whenever, however, whatever you want to do in and through me. Whenever, however, whatever you want to do through my church, yes. Yes. Pray for yourself. Pray for this church that God would move in a mighty way during this 40 days. In a way that we will never be the same. That we will have a true brush with his greatness that will change us. Pray that during this 40 days, our community and our world, the parts that we're able to touch will never be the same. The lives that we're able to touch will never be the same. Father, pour out your grace. Fill us with your spirit that we may not just say those words, yes, but that we may live them out, not just once, not just during the 40 days. But may every single day of our lives, may we wake up and may we say, yes, Lord. Yes to whenever, whatever, however you want to work in and through me. Yes, I'm available. I'm yours. I trust you. Thank you, God. Thank you for loving us the way you do. We love you. In Jesus' name.